You're listening to On Human Rights. We are broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. My name is Linnea Ekegren. Today we are speaking with John Knox, who is the former UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and the Environment. He was the first independent expert on human rights and the environment, appointed by the Human Rights Council in 2012. John Knox received his law degree from Stanford University, and he is now a professor of international law at Wake Forest University in North Carolina, where he teaches and writes on human rights law, environmental law, and their relationship with one another. Thank you so much for joining us, and hope you will enjoy this podcast. John Knox has been joining us this week for the roundtable on human rights in the Anthropocene, with international experts from all around the world to talk about the environment, human rights, sustainability, and climate change. Hello, welcome to our podcast, Mr. John Knox. It's very nice to meet you. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You became the first independent expert on human rights and the environment, appointed by the Human Rights Council in 2012. And then you became the first special rapporteur in 2015. How have you seen the development regarding human rights and the environment since then? The whole field of human rights and the environment has really exploded over the last eight to ten years, I think. The idea that people have a human right to a healthy environment and that environmental harm can adversely affect their enjoyment of a very wide range of human rights, including their rights to life and health, that idea is now very widely accepted and understood. And so it's been enjoyable to watch in the countries that I visited and learn from the many people who are, who are working to protect human rights in the environment, both at the national level and at the international level. And we have seen that you are also a professor of international law at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. So we're wondering, why do you believe it's important to teach the upcoming generations about human rights law environmental law, and their relationship with one another? Well, I think these are some of the most fundamental questions that people of my students' generation will have to face. That is, what's the proper relationship of humans to each other and their societies and the proper relationship of humans and their societies to the environment? I mean, we are facing enormous environmental challenges, climate crisis, obviously, but also the global loss of biodiversity, the, the growing levels of pollutants and toxics around the world, the, including, for example, microplastics, which are becoming more and more prevalent. That's going to affect my students' generation really throughout their lifetimes. And so it's very important that they learn as much as they can about these problems as early as possible, but also learn the legal tools that may be available to help them try and address those problems. So what kind of responsibility do you think that the current generation also has? I mean, my generation, the older generation, (laughs) um, I think we have enormous responsibilities since in many cases we're the reason why this problem exists. And in particular, I would say that means the people of my generation, and by that I mean people in their 40s, 50s and up, the people in that generation living in the global north. Um, having had the benefits of rapid industrialization and the benefits of a dominant position in the world economy, it's very important for people living in the global north to recognize the responsibilities that they have to try and clean up the messes that they've made 
as a result of, of taking advantage of those benefits. So this week, you're visiting us here in Lund at the Raoul Wallenberg Institute at the roundtable Human Rights in the Anthropocene. As you mentioned before, we can see that the world is realizing the importance of human rights and the environment. But what does it mean to have a human right to a healthy environment? Well, it's most basic. I think it means that everyone has the right to live in an environment that allows them to live lives of dignity, freedom, equality, the basic qualities that all of human rights law is designed to try to protect. But in specific cases, it can mean a variety of things. It can mean that governments have obligations to try and protect against specific environmental harms. It can also mean that governments have obligations to allow you as an individual to participate in environmental decision-making, to have environmental information, that is information about environmental problems, so that you know how to deal with them, and also access to remedies for environmental harm. In particular, I want to emphasize that it means that governments have to allow individuals to speak freely and associate with each other to protest proposals that they think will harm the environment. This is an enormous problem around the world. Many environmentalists are killed every year as a result of their activities trying to protect the environment. The numbers are actually pretty staggering. Between 160 and 200 people are killed every year. That's three or four people a week as a direct result of their attempts to defend the environment or their land rights. This is a global problem that is found in many different countries around the world. Even apart from killings, in even more cases, people are often denied their rights by arbitrary detention, arrests, threats, physical violence against them, harassment. And again, these problems occur uh, not just in the global south, although they certainly occur there, but they also occur in countries in the global north. In my own country, the United States, for example, protesters to the Dakota Access Pipeline were subjected to, among other things, uh, being sprayed by powerful fire hoses in the middle of the winter when temperatures were freezing. So, I mean, this is a long answer to this basic question, but the point is that as part of your right to a healthy environment, you have the right to defend your rights related to a healthy environment, and that governments often don't respect those rights. It's a very important answer. So we appreciate that. And you have written the framework principle on human rights and the environment that sets out the basic human rights obligations relating to the enjoyment of a healthy and sustainable environment. So what was the purpose of the framework, and which principle do you believe is the most important? So the framework principles were the result of my work as the Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and the Environment for the United Nations. As part of that job, I was asked to clarify how human rights law applies to environmental issues. And to that end, based on my six years of research and work and traveling to different countries and writing reports, I tried to summarize the human rights obligations relating to the environment in 16 framework principles on human rights and the environment. So the framework principles cover procedural obligations of the type I just described, that is rights to receive information about environmental issues, to participate in environmental decision-making, rights of free expression and association, and so forth. They include principles of non-discrimination. Much environmental harm is inherently discriminatory and 
states have obligations to try and protect against that kind of discrimination. They include specific obligations for groups like indigenous peoples and local communities that are particularly dependent on the natural environment. And they include obligations of international cooperation to deal with transboundary and global environmental problems like climate change. So these principles, um, again, are not legally binding in themselves. I don't have the power to bind states, but they are a restatement of legally binding obligations as they have been described by courts, by other human rights bodies, both at the international and the domestic level. And they're available through the United Nations. So I encourage all of your listeners to get your own copy. The Raoul Wallenberg Institute helped me in 2018 to issue these principles in a very nice format with pictures. And it looks much better than the normal United Nations report, which is not all that beautiful to look at. You asked me what the most important principle was. I don't know if I can say a single one, but the first two principles are maybe the overarching ones. They express the fundamental interdependence of human rights and the environment. That is that you can't really enjoy your human rights unless you're living in a safe and healthy environment. But also, in order to have a safe and healthy environment, you have to be able to exercise your human rights. So ideally, this relationship is like a virtuous circle. You protect human rights, and therefore you have a healthy environment which helps you enjoy your human rights. Of course, when the circle breaks down, if you're denied your human rights to fight for a healthy environment, then of course that has adverse environmental consequences, which in turn then undermine your ability to enjoy a vast range of other human rights. So a more personal question now. Why did you choose this career path with the focus on human rights and the environment? Well, throughout my career as a lawyer, I've always been interested in both human rights and environmental issues. And normally, certainly when I graduated from law school, those were seen in most countries as really separate paths. And I was no exception. I did not think I could combine those. So I alternately worked sometimes on human rights and sometimes on the environment. But over time, uh, both in my own life and in the the broader societal consciousness, it be, it's become clearer and clearer that those paths really are one path, that you, that there are so many points of contact between human rights protection and environmental protection that it makes more and more sense to think of them in relation to each other. So personally, I feel like I've been very lucky to be able to have a career that lets me work on both of these issues. And the work for the United Nations as the special rapporteur in, in many ways was the, my dream job. So it was a real honor for me to get to do that. So during this time as a lawyer and in law school, which time do you realize the importance of a healthy environment? That's a good question. I don't know that there was a single moment. I always liked being outside. I always enjoyed living in the environment. I mean, I grew up in a suburb. I would say I was not more exposed to the natural environment than many people growing up in the United States at the time. So I'm not sure that there was a single moment. I think it was more of a sense that here was an area that was under threat from multiple sources and that in my lifetime and in the lifetime of my children and probably their children, this would be one of the great one of the great challenges being able to address those threats those environmental threats would also require us addressing threats to human rights so it seemed to me that this was an area in which i could make a difference and it was worth trying to fight to help others who are working in this area as well and you managed to do that 
to some degree, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I want to say that one of the great things about this position was getting to meet so many people working in so many areas, often under conditions of extreme peril to their own lives. So mm -hmm. I met an enormous number of really inspiring people. And I think all of us who are able to work on these issues without facing those kinds of threats really owe a debt of gratitude to them. Really everyone in the world owes a debt of gratitude to these environmental defenders because they're protecting the environment not only for themselves but for all of us. So the last and the big question is okay. what do you think is in the future for human rights and a healthy environment? As I said, I think at the beginning this whole field is really exploding. So I think we're going to see more and more cases the Urgenda case in the Netherlands last year is an example of where I think this field may be going. In that case, a Dutch court held that the government of the Netherlands needed to move more quickly to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions on the basis of its obligations to protect the right to life and the right to private and family life under the European Convention on Human Rights. There are many, many rights-based cases around the world trying to address climate change. To be clear, I don't think that's the only way to address climate change, but I think it's going to become more and more integral to efforts to address climate change and other environmental problems. That is not only case law, although that will be very important, but also legislation, regulations, and just changes in how people think about environmental protection, to think about it more in terms of the fact that people have rights to live in a healthy environment. I think that will become more and more a standard part of both environmental law and human rights law. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. That was John Knox, former UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and the Environment. This was On Human Rights. For the latest episodes, follow us on Podcast Exist. You can also follow our social media channels, go into our website, or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest news about the Royal Wallenberg Institute's international humanitarian work. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>